Welcome back to Liner Notes on Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Hello again, everybody. I'm Greg Thompson. And in this special edition of Liner Notes, we're going to visit my personal archives and turn the clock back nearly 40 years. To be precise, the year was 1983, and the conversation was with Ronnie Hammond, the lead singer of the Atlanta Rhythm Section. I think that 83 is a good place to be because there are so many diversities as opposed to 1975. It was Southern Rock, Southern Rock, Southern Rock, Southern Rock. Conversation, that's what it's all about. Why can't we talk it out and say what's on our minds? Situations keep getting in the way. So much we need to say, but we're running out of time. And I don't really know how it happened. So out of hand It's just like a dream you can't remember Even though you always wish you could When it's gone, it's gone forever When it's gone, it's gone listening to Liner Notes on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. And we just heard a bit of conversation from Ronnie Hammond and the Atlanta Rhythm Section song, Conversation, that was released in 1972. Once again, folks, it's Greg Thompson alongside here with you on Liner Notes and the story of how I had the good fortune to interview Ronnie Hammond in 1983 is almost as interesting as the interview itself. Back in 1983, I was part of a group of college radio friends from KVSC-FM, the student-run station on the campus of St. Cloud State University, and we sat down with Ronnie Hammond on that night in a central Minnesota bar. Now, St. Cloud State is located about 70 miles west of Minneapolis, and I was about a year into my college radio career when my college roommate, Jason Ness, suggested that I try to interview Johnny Van Zandt, the brother of Leonard Skinner founder Ronnie Van Zandt. Now, Johnny had a solo band at the time that was appearing at a bar in Minneapolis. So here's what I did, folks. Basically... This set up a dare because I had Johnny Van Zandt's management's phone number from his newest album release at the time. So I located the number on the album and then on that Monday morning, I called his management group. And within three minutes, amazingly, I was on the phone with his manager. And a couple of hours later, we had secured an interview with Johnny Van Zandt that took place on October 3rd of 1982. And what that did was that it gave me the inspiration to reach out to other acts that were coming into the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, as well as St. Cloud, ended up lining up interviews with Charlie Daniels. We also got interviews lined up with the Allman Brothers, Greg Allman, and Dickie Betts and Chuck Lavelle. What this did was create a wonderful experience for me, and when I think back to it now, those interviews became one of the inspirations for Liner Notes. And in fact, in future traditions of liner notes we will be hearing from some of those interviews that are now nearly 40 and in some cases more than 
40 years old. And now as we take a moment to refocus on that night in the late spring of 1983 with Ronnie Hammond, our group of college radio friends from KVSC piled into my Delta 88 Oldsmobile and we headed out to Dino's Ballroom. This was the bar where Ronnie Hammond was appearing. We had a decent cassette recorder and a good microphone in hand. Those were the tools of the trade back in those days. Now the band's management had put us on the guest list, which was a huge deal to a bunch of college kids. And we got to see the show for free before we went backstage for our interview. We got to spend about 20 minutes with Ronnie, who was 32 years old at the time. I can tell you that Ronnie was very nice and accommodating with our group. I was 21 at the time, and I was just starting to get more comfortable with these types of sit-down interviews with the musical artists who I'd grown up listening to since I was a kid. For Ronnie Hammond, 1983 was a time of transition in his career that had seen the Atlanta Rhythm Section register some big hits back in the day. If you'll recall, the band had a great deal of success in the late 70s. Of course, things are constantly changing in the music business, and a new era had indeed arrived by the 1980s. At the time of our interview, Ronnie had begun to work on a solo album with Buddy Bowie, his longtime friend, songwriting partner, and the producer who had been one of the driving forces behind the Atlanta Rhythm Section. Now folks, it's time to go back to 1983, and let's go backstage to Dino's Ballroom in central Minnesota for our interview with Ronnie Hammond. Who have been your major musical influences? Okay, to start with, when I was very, very young, back in the 50s, I don't remember who the names of the groups were, but I remember 16 Candles. 16 Candles. Real old. That kind of thing was a real influence to me and uh, all the early and late 50 things. But the group responsible for my being in the business is the Beatles, of course. When they first came out, they captured me and had me for the next many years. I liked the birds and a lot of things that came and went. Basically, artists like the Beatles, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. I love Jackson Brown, Joni Mitchell, the Eagles, Chicago. There's so many good ones, it's really hard to name them all and hate leaving any of them out because there's so many of them. Growing up in Macon, did the Allman Brothers have some kind of effect on what you were doing? They had a more personal effect on me than they did first, than they did a musical effect. I graduated from high school in 1969, and that's when the Allman Brothers first moved to Macon. And they were playing at a VFW club down on Cotton Avenue. I never went out a nightclub to write, but some of the guys in the band that I played with went out and they said, boy, you got to hear this group called Allman Brothers. They're just something else. I never went out and heard them, right? So I graduated in 69, and the band that I was with in high school broke up, so I left and went to Atlanta to start my career. And then the Allman Brothers became the biggest thing in business. <laughs> I became good friends with Greg later, but I never really met Dwayne. But they were a heck of a group, I'll tell you what. I got to interview Greg Allman when he was at the Blues Bar in Minneapolis, and he was quite a person. I was he's really impressed. He's a real special person to me. Well, you were trying some new material tonight with the band, and I really like your band sound. It's got a real hard edge to it. Have you been writing a lot of the material for the band, or who's been responsible for that? Well, the band and I have only been playing together for a few months, and the only original material that we have to date is what we played for you tonight. Those two songs will be on our new album soon. They're already recorded in the studio, of course. We have some other things that we haven't worked up yet because we've been so busy and all, but I've been writing with Buddy Bowie for the last two years. He and I have about a dozen real good songs ready to record, and I can't wait to get the project underway. Since the rhythm section broke up, we were with Columbia Records, and we have just got a release within the last three weeks. 
so that everybody that was involved with them could go their own ways and make their new deals and all. So now we have everything in front of us. I'm really excited. I like that Survivor. It's really good. Another thing, we talked to Johnny Van Zandt. He said that you could drink a lot of vodka and still sing like hell. And that's a <laughs> compliment. We got, we got this especially for Yeah, Johnny? Yeah, Johnny, you did the backups on Last of the Wild Ones, right? Yeah, the, yeah, the album. I'll tell you, that that was something else. That was a pleasure. You're playing a lot of straightforward, guitar-oriented rock and roll, where today it's a lot of electronics, a lot of waving. Right. How are you dealing with that? You're I'll tell you, very interesting thing. I'm coming along in the studio right now. I've basically three songs that I'm working on in the studio now producing me, Buddy Bowie, and he is from the old school, like you just said, the guitar-oriented stuff. He is just now getting his feet wet in uh, synthesizers. But he has really been bearing down for the last three or so weeks that I've not been in the studio, and the results are amazing. He's got a good person that he's working with that does the playing on the keyboards. We have a totally fresh approach to my music. It'll be new music. It won't be rehashed rhythm section music, and I'm really proud of that. Do you think you'll be going into a more new wave sounding stuff, or do you think you'll retain about the same sound you have now? Well, we'll use the synthesizer thing basically to the best advantage on the ballads. To lay it right out for you, I've always considered that I did ballads much better than I did high-energy rock and roll. Now I can do low-key rock and roll just fine, like Survivor. Well, we'll just have to wait and see, but probably going to lead towards sensitive, soul-searching type music. How would you compare something like 1975 to 1983 as far as like music and what's going on? Oh, boy, is it totally different. <laughs> Totally awesome. Yeah. <laughs> really is totally different. When you guys came out with red tape. Well, I'll tell you, it's hard for me to compare 75 to 83 because in 75 I was blind, deaf, and dumb. In as much as my sensibilities were concerned, in 83 they're totally wide open. I'm a different person than I was in 75. I'm married and I have a little boy. And my music is not an obsession anymore. It's a pleasure and there's just total difference in the way I approach my whole lifestyle and my life. I think that 83 is a good place to be because there are so many diversities as opposed to 1975. It was Southern Rock, Southern Rock, Southern Rock, Southern Rock. About all you heard, right? Which was a terrible corner to be put in because every band from the South was different. But the people that weren't aware of that, everybody from the South was just alike. And I'm glad to be out of that. It was like a tattoo. You know? What do you see for your new band? I know you're starting in Dino's ballroom and that and trying to work your way. What do you ultimately see for your band? Well, I see progress, hopefully. But basically, this time around, I intend to approach it totally from a well I did this always I think that songs are what are important the quality of a song is more important than the popularity of a style as long as I can have good material to work with and make the records the way I and the people around me think are suitable I don't see that there's much problem at all I don't think we'll get locked into any kind of corner or bag that's unfair because I don't have an image to live up to now neither does the band we have total freedom now. It's a good feeling. That kind of leads into another thing we were wondering about. When you write a song, do you concentrate on getting airplay for it, or do you write a song for yourself, something that sounds good to you? I always write for myself. I always co-write with Buddy Bowie, my co-writer, my partner, my producer, my manager. He's one of the great songwriters from the 70s and 60s, and I've learned a lot from him, and one of the main things I've learned is don't go in, sit down, and try to do something that the record company told you you should do. Go sit down and do what you do best, what comes natural. That'll be the best product you can come up with. That happened with the rhythm section a lot. Towards the end, I mean, the first of the rhythm section years, the, our hits were ballads, slow songs, pretty songs, right? A conversation, imaginary lover, and things like that. 
And as the years progressed towards the late 70s and rock and roll and rock and roll, the record company started saying, we want a rock and roll album. So all the writers would go say, we're going to sit down and write rock and roll. We won't write any ballads. Well, that's when the band stopped happening because ballads were our long suit, not rock and roll. We won't make that mistake again. I won't make that mistake again. But it's funny, let me tell you this. Buddy and I were talking the other day in the studio between Minute Off, and he said, it's funny, Ronnie, we should name this album Songs That Buddy Bowie and Ronnie Hammond Like. <laughs> that answers that question. I really like a lot of stuff, and I could tell, like, when Robert had his problems, and then he left, you could tell that the Boys From Dorville album, it seemed like you guys were struggling just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, missing an important influence. I'll say this about that. Robert Nix, I look back at retrospect now, and I figure it this way. When he left the group, it left the group incomplete, and it never was the same. I could tell just from the last couple, but... Hindsight's 20-20, right? <laughs> but you're going forward with this. Yes, this is my chance to make up for all the mistakes I made before. Oh, I intend to. When you look back at the great bands like Leonard Skinner, I hate to put everybody in this position, but I mean, Alan, he's got a new band now. They've got a pretty good album out. and It's not tattooed as Southern Rock, but it's still music from the South. It's hard driving. It's that type of the 80s. And how does that compare or contrast with the 75? I don't mean to stick with that, but... It's okay. It's a good question. I'll try to answer it, and I don't want to put my foot in my mouth because I love Alan Collins and Dickie Betts and respect them all so much. Alan Collins just came out with an album, and I was at his listening party in Atlanta. It's a great album, and I wish him the best on it. Now, about Dickie, I haven't heard what he's doing. There was ever a great rocker, Alan Collins, is one of them, and he still made a great album again. That's probably what his long suit is, but my long suit is not. I'm just in a different bag, and it's hard for me to say exactly where all that fits in. I know there's a place for it, but who's to say? Do you want me to do a spot for you? Yeah, oh yeah. Hi, I'm Ronnie Hammond, and you're listening to the Granite City Rock of KBSC-FM. From 1983, that's my interview with Ronnie Hammond, who is best known as the lead singer for the Atlanta Rhythm Section. Once again, folks, you're listening to Liner Notes on Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. And in our remaining moments in this edition of the podcast, we want to give you a postscript on Ronnie Hammond's life and his career. In 1987, Ronnie returned to the Atlanta Rhythm Section to once again serve as the band's lead singer. In 1996, Ronnie and the ARS were inducted into the Georgia Music Hall of Fame, which also features a host of musical legends including Otis Redding, James Brown, Little Richard, Gladys Knight, Greg and Dwayne Allman, Ronnie Millsaps, Chet Atkins, and a host of others. Now looking back at Ronnie Hammond's life, sadly, on March 14, 2011, Ronnie Hammond died in his Forsyth, Georgia home of heart failure. He was just 60 years old at the time of his death. Reflecting back on Ronnie's life, he was remembered by family and friends as a nice person who was very humble about all that he had accomplished during his career. Now looking back at the brief time that we spent with him during what was a difficult period during his career, Ronnie was extremely nice to a group of college kids who had the privilege of sitting down with him and talking about his music and the music business at that point in time. In addition to being grateful for the opportunity to interview Ronnie Hammond, I am very thankful that the original cassette tape survived and stayed in good shape for nearly 40 years. Finally, folks, we'd like to thank you for spending part of your day here with us on liner notes from Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. 
Be sure to check back with us real soon for our next episode of Liner Notes, an exclusive production of Podwheels powered by Radio Nemo.